0: Welcome to the Youth Pastor and Theologian Podcast, where theology and youth ministry meet. I'm your host, Mike McGarry. I'm here in our online studio with Sandra Peoples talking about ministry uh, to students and families with with disabilities. And so uh, a little bit about Sandra. Sandra Peoples is a disability ministry consultant. For the Southern Baptists of Texas Convention, an adjunct professor for Liberty University, and she's the author of Unexpected Blessings, The Joys and Possibilities of Life in a Special Needs Family. She and her family live outside of Houston, Texas. Sandra, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: That's our joy. It's our joy. Hey, it's always fun to get to know our guests a little bit as their teenage selves. Mm -hmm. And so uh would you tell us a little bit about your favorite tv show or your favorite band as a teenager and what was it that that drew you to to them
1: yeah this is a great way to start in fact i have a son who's about to turn 18 and he is very into music he feels called to worship ministry and so i was telling him yesterday hey we're gonna have this conversation and we're gonna he asked what my favorite band is and and I said, it makes me feel really old to talk about what my favorite band is, but, um, I can very clearly remember where I was when I heard the album August and everything after by Counting Crows. Uh, we were, I grew up in Oklahoma, but we were driving in West Texas. And so it's just like cotton fields. And I heard there's a song on there, Anna begins. It's my, my favorite song ever. And I remember listening to it and then. Hitting the back button on the little like portable CD player that I was listening to in the back of the car and listening to it again, and I was like, "This this is it, right?" Like to my, I don't know, fourteen or fifteen year old, I was like, "This is what love is. This is what you know, like all those emotions and all that big stuff." So I love it. um, That's my. And I have a friend who went to their concert recently because they were. I live outside of Houston, like you said, and they were touring around. And I was like, "Man, I wish I could have gone to that concert and." sometimes though you need to leave some of that in the past and just like make it
0: <laughs> Indeed, indeed. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah so but that's my very favorite uh album my favorite song that i mean that just it takes me back
0: oh my goodness i love that um i i can i can picture you in the back seat holding the discman in your yeah. hands because if you put <laughs> yeah. it on the seat cushion there's like way too many jumps yeah. and skips right it's you got you got yeah. to cradle it and shock it a- <laughs> Shock absorb it with your Uh hands right yeah
1: yeah i know all of that's true man and i i even had to think like did i have a disc man or was it on tape but i'm pretty sure it was a cd so at least i got like that level of technology so man just so good music has it just puts you right back in certain places and certain times and it's so cool
0: i love it and i love that this kind of silly question for a podcast helped spark some some good conversation with your own kids, too. yeah,
1: it was that's fun. really
0: fun. Hey, well, we're here uh, today to talk about uh, ministry to students with disabilities. Uh, it's unfortunately easy. I think, as we both know, and as many of our listeners know, it's it's easy for youth ministries to accidentally exclude students who are uh, neurodivergent or who have uh, other disabilities. Uh, These students and families are often experiencing some significant stress at home, and the church can uh, accidentally add to that sense of not feeling welcomed or included. That's really unfortunate. Uh, We're called to pastor and to shepherd the flock, uh, the sheep, and uh, these students and families are included in that. And so Really excited to talk with you about how youth workers and churches can better serve uh, students and parents with disabilities. So, to start us off, uh, could you could you just talk with us a little bit about uh, the verbiage and uh, how how do we appropriately talk about um, special needs and special um, disabilities and kind of all these conversations? We have different ages listening, and so it's. There's been some shifts in recent years, so could you just kind of talk us through what's the best way to even talk about these issues?
1: Yeah, no, now we're really jumping into the deep end right off the bat here (laughs) with this. But um, I grew up with a sister with Down syndrome, and she's my older sister, and so my whole life has been in the disability community, and so I have seen language evolve over the years. And so what has kind of exasperated that of course is social media and so yeah. you're not just saying a word in isolation in your little town in Oklahoma like I did when I was growing up but now right. if i post something on online on twitter yeah. especially then it's like you used the wrong word and you're being insensitive to our the people with neurodivergence and yeah. it, so or on it, like
0: the youth group tiktok or instagram yeah. now it's out there yeah
1: yeah and so I mean, I want to like give a little encouragement to say, if you don't feel like you're getting it right, nobody's getting it right all the time. (laughs) Right. And there's grace for that. Like we're learning right now. There is this kind of a shift from using the term special needs to using disability. And there's a few reasons for that. One of that, one of the reasons is there's no like legal definition for special needs, but there is a legal definition for disability. So you meet certain characteristics by saying disability. Part of that is this adult movement. We have more adult advocates who are speaking up and they say, the term special needs is m- makes me feel like I'm a little kid and I'm not a little kid, I'm an adult and, and I can speak up for the language that I prefer being used. Yeah. And that language is disability. Okay. Now, if you and I know we have mostly a youth group audience and so these are teenagers, so they are in those years of figuring out what words they want to use for themselves, right? right? Like so they their parents primarily when they were younger probably used special needs and then but if they have exposure to larger communities they're seeing disability. So, I mean, as a ministry leader, I just default to what the parents use, what the person him or herself uses to describe what they have and then go from that. I I don't force anybody to use language that they're not comfortable with, but from like an educational standpoint across, if you have a specific ministry at your church, like my church has, we're shifting from special needs to disability. And now that encompasses a lot of things. Like at our church, that is what we would consider special needs like Down syndrome or cerebral palsy. It also includes learning disabilities like dyslexia. It includes behavioral diagnosis uh, like oppositional defiant disorder. It includes mental health diagnosis like uh, ADHD. And so this is this big umbrella. And we're we're saying any what we say at our church is if you need any Changes or accommodations to the lesson or the environment in order to hear and respond to the gospel, then you come under our umbrella of disability ministry. And that doesn't mean you're not in the uh, youth ministry. It just means the disability ministry team speaks into your experience, is there to help the youth minister if he has any questions, and just is a kind of a support at whatever level they need that support.
0: Yeah. Okay, so could you tell me more about this disability team? Maybe we might be jumping ahead too much. Um, You can put this one off if, if you think it would be better, but uh, I'm interested. So your church has a disability team. Well, can you share a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, it's we, so our church is a normal sized church. So we run 350, 400.
0: Okay, that's Um, helpful because my initial thought is I'm in Massachusetts, you're in Houston. Surely this must be like some giant mega church then.
1: Right, right. And normally it is like the churches who have been leading the way in disability ministry are the mega churches. Like I go to Houston's First Baptist and they've got huge ministry, right? And they've got tons of volunteers. We're doing that on a much smaller scale. And I mean, with fewer volunteers, with, I mean, I don't want to say less expertise, because I really feel like God brings people to your church who have the gifts to serve other people. And so we have special education teachers and we have therapists and we have all of them. And so what it looks like at our church, there's, there's really four options for students with disabilities. And this is children and teenagers. And so they could be kids who have some kind of disability, but they're comfortable in a typical environment. So they're comfortable in the youth group or in a children's class, but they may need help from a buddy. And so they have either a one-on-one buddy or a buddy who's just in that classroom to serve any of the kids who are there. Mm -hmm. We also have a sensory room class for our elementary age kids. And so if it's a kid with more profound disabilities, then they are in that class and that whole class is designed to communicate the gospel in a way they can understand it, It has like a ball pit to meet their sensory needs. All of that is in place for them. There's a third option of kind of a hybrid, okay? So you can be in the typical class for a little while, you get overwhelmed, you come to the sensory room, you're there for 10 minutes, then you go back. What we do for our teenagers and young adults who have more profound disabilities is we have what we call a reverse inclusion class. And so their class is designed for them. They use a special curriculum, but we invite typical youth, typical teenagers to come in for the purpose of friendship, really. Like Mm -hmm. they're not there as co-teachers. They're not there as like aides or buddies. They're just there to hang out, to encourage to be a support to the teacher when she needs it but really yeah. friendship and yeah. is the purpose of that and so yeah. those are kind of the four options that we have from children's ministry up through young adults
0: okay that's interesting now how long did you did it take for you to de- develop that team and system cuz i could see in a a medium sized church that could that doesn't just happen overnight
1: It doesn't. What helps that happen is when your pastor's son requires it.
0: (laughs) So (laughs) so when
1: we were interviewing at this church, uh, and this was seven years ago, uh, when my husband was going through the interview process, we asked the church, do you have a disability ministry? Like, Do you have an inclusion plan or do you have a class? Because my son, my younger son with autism has level three autism, which is profound, Mostly nonverbal so he doesn't fit in a typical class that's not comfortable for yeah. him, so we asked the church, "Hey, do you have anything that you know that looks like this?" And they said, "No, but we're willing. we're willing to do whatever we need to do yeah. and so um, because often disability ministries start in churches because a mom or a dad keeps right. showing up, <laughs> yeah. right, and they keep yeah. showing up, and finally everybody's like, "Oh." Dad is in the service, but mom is in the lobby with this kid. And, and they're trying to come, but they just can't come. We need to make some changes. So it started out with us building some sensory rooms. We were remodeling the kids' hall anyway, put some yeah. sensory rooms in. And then really, especially in the elementary age and in our youth group age, it's not kids who need that sensory room. It's more kids with level one autism or ADHD, or really high anxiety, those are the kids that get help from buddies. And so those kids have always been in our churches. There's just, we haven't always known how to help them and support them. And so this buddy idea, or even just the youth minister and the volunteers being more aware of what the needs are and how to meet them helps us support those students.
0: Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about those needs then. So what are some of the unique stresses and challenges that um, these students and families experience that would be good for your youth workers to be aware of who uh, maybe um, haven't really had much exposure or experience to um, the reality of day-to-day reality of living with disability?
1: Yeah, I think you said it really well in your introduction. You kind of hit on what I think is the hardest part of that, and that is the loneliness or the isolation. Like if you have a kid that just doesn't fit the mold of what every other kid is doing, whether that is he's just a little bit socially awkward and the other kids don't want to play with him or he's got immature social skills. And so you've got these juniors and seniors and you really want to talk about some things that that you've got age wise a junior or a senior but but he's just not quite there it it's just isolating it it feels lonely um and that we we get invited to do less our kids get invited to hang out with each other less and so it's just hard to see our kids not have true friendship it's hard to see them struggle especially if they struggle with social cues and so yeah. they know mm-hmm. that something is off, but they don't know how to, they, they can't navigate the expectations and they don't know how to change their behavior. They don't know how to even like enter a new social scenario and, and how to navigate that. That's one of the things that our buddies do is they kind of help bridge that gap. And so like say over at our youth group, the junior high boys are playing video games and then a new student who has some social anxiety or ADHD tries to come in and he may come in too strong, right? Like he may come in and bump into somebody or knock the controller out. And and then the other boys are like, what are you doing? And so if a buddy's there or just an adult that kind of says, hey, hey, this is so-and-so, introduces them, comes in, like just kind of a bridge that helps navigate those social scenarios. And Mm -hmm. so isolation and loneliness, I think. And that, that's true even, and I think, a lot of what I do focuses on whole family ministry. And so like, even though my son James is not in our typical youth group, my son David is right. And there's challenges to being in our family. Like like he gets less attention because James requires so much attention. Mm -hmm. And there's times where I say, man, I just can't get you to youth group tonight because we've got therapy or we've got something like that. And so even Youth ministers being aware of the pressure on the family and supporting the siblings is huge.
0: That's really good. So a a number of years ago, I had a student in youth group whose younger brother had significant um, health issues of a whole wide variety. Um, And after I got to know this young man, um, I I was able to talk with him uh, kind of a little bit vulnerably and and I just asked him, I was like, Hey, you know, how do you feel when people ask you, like when people are always asking you about your brother, like how's your brother doing? And I've tried not to do that. Like, but is that good or is that weird? Like, does Mike even know or care about my brother or like, how, how do you receive that right and so he was like actually i've really appreciated it because it like yeah. everyone is always asking me about my brother um could you talk a little bit about like how do we support the siblings of you know families with disability
1: yeah i think that's a great question and and i'm really relying on i, I grew up in a first baptist church in a small town in oklahoma and there wasn't disability ministry then, the same way we think of it now, but our church welcomed multiple families of kids with disabilities. And my, the place I felt the most at home as a teenager was at church, right? So I wasn't, there were lots of times in our town, I was known as Sybil's sister mm-hmm. and not even as Sandra. But at church, they knew me, they recognized me, they saw, giftedness in me like they encouraged me to to lead girls bible studies and to to mentor some of the younger girls and and so a lot of my identity was shaped because my youth minister saw me as a separate person (laughs) from my family unit and that doesn't mean he didn't ask about Sybil and do he did but it was like this is a place where I can kind of relax like I'm not responsible for being Sybil's sister and watching out for her and being on on duty all the time. Like, I can come here and just be myself. Um, we all grew up together, so they knew Sybil. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like we were, you know, like hiding that. But man, it was just, it's such a, it was such a comfortable place for me. And what I love about that is there were three families, three or four families that all had kids with disabilities all the same age, and there are four of us from those families who are now in full-time ministry. Oh, wow. And so I think our church did that right, right? Yeah. Like that we not only continue to love Jesus and follow Him, but love the church enough to to work full-time. Like we have a, a, a worship leader, a church planter, a preschool director, and then I serve our state convention and serve yeah. as pastor's wife. And so I think, man, they just did it right. And I see our youth group do that for my son as well and for the other typical siblings. You know, they just they just kind of there there's no way special needs parents. There's just so much for us to have to do and we need people to come in and speak into our kids and mentor our kids and be adult presence in their lives and yeah. and that's really happened in our youth group for David where I just think, man, you and and also he can go there and say I'm mad because I have a brother that demands more of my parents' attention, right? Like they, they don't shame him mm-hmm. for anything that he would feel. So if he went over there and and shared how angry he was or how confused he was or why, you know, why did God give me a brother with, with significant disabilities or what is this going to mean for my future? They can walk him through that because they know him specifically and care for him and are willing to just kind of like plug the holes that just kind of exist in our family because of everything that we're trying to juggle.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. I just know from from my perspective it it's just so easy and that's why I told that story, right? It, it's so easy to second guess <laughs> what you are doing and what you're not doing and to like is this is this helpful? Is there is there another way and so yeah, I just I really appreciate that insight and um council so I'm wondering if we can kind of um back up just a little bit into kind of just a, a biblical theology of disability um so it, and you even mentioned so that um you know if, if if James comes to youth group and asks hey like what Why would God even allow this to happen? Like, what is going on? Right. Just how do we as youth workers, as parents, as Christians, really, like, how do we think biblically and theologically about the reality of disability and um, what is the Lord doing in that?
1: Yeah, I think this is great because I don't think... You normally think about it until you have to think about it, (laughs) which is true for a lot of things. But, you know, once you dig into scripture and you say, what does God say about disabilities and what does God, how does he interact with people with disabilities? We don't just, we have more than just healing miracles in the gospels. There's more to the story of disability. It it starts in Genesis. It goes all the way through Revelation. Uh, You think of Jacob and his limp and how he had that limp his entire life. And so you have this patriarch of the Jewish faith who had a disability. And so it wasn't hidden away, even in the Hebrew culture. Like this, it's it's reality. It's what we Mm -hmm. live in. Part of the fall, bodies aren't going to work the way they're supposed to work. Minds aren't going to work the way they're supposed to work. And yet God has a purpose in that. And so one of my favorite verses to start with, if we're talking to... Somebody about disability is in Exodus four and it is Moses and God has called him to go before Pharaoh and ask for the release of his people. And Moses says, I can't do that. I'm slow of speech. Uh, you know, we think maybe he had a stuttering issue. He just says, "I, I can't do what you're asking me to do. And then God says, uh, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I? And he says, and go. Go do what I've asked you to do and I will be with you. And so what brings me comfort as a mom and as a sister and as somebody who interacts with people with disabilities every day is to say this wasn't an accident in my son's life or my sister's life. God has a purpose in this disability Mm -hmm. and he's going to work through through James, the same way he's going to work through me and David and my husband, Lee, like all of us have a purpose in the way that we were designed. And so, you know, especially, I mean, there are some disabilities that come from something else like fetal alcohol syndrome, right? Like we know that comes from the mother who Uh, had an addiction. And so there there are some things we know a cause of. There's other things we don't know a cause of. But what brings me the most comfort is to say, no matter what the cause or no matter what circumstances came before, God designed this child, put this child in our family or in our church, and there's a purpose and a plan for us.
0: Uh, So how how do you respond to those who say, but why would God do that? Isn't, isn't that so cruel? What, what a curse that God has given.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a... There's lots of ways that... I mean, God's ways are higher than our ways. There's a lot of things that we don't see from his perspective. Yeah. Uh, there's nobody in Scripture who didn't suffer, right? I right. mean, Jesus, our suffering servant. So to think that a life with God is a life without suffering or an easy road, there's just no evidence of that. In fact, the more affliction we have, the more God can work in our lives to produce fruit that only the Holy Spirit can produce. And what a testimony that is. So what a testimony it is when a family like mine who struggles, I mean, like our church family knows, they can see that it's, it's there are, one of the things that comes along with autism is Uh, they have a really hard time sleeping. And so James could get up at two or three in the morning and be awake the rest of the day. And so if that's on a Sunday, then we're still showing up at church and we are mid-40s now and not (laughs) (laughs) mid-20s. Like when you have a a newborn, you don't expect to sleep through the night. When you have a teenager, you expect to sleep him at least to sleep 12 or 15 hours, right? And so... You know, it's just that endurance that we build. And so, you know, I, fairness or I I don't know, I think you can just see beauty in differences in in the way that families love each other, the way they care for each other. Um, The funny thing or the unique thing about the disability community is that you can become a part of the disability community at any point. So it could be a car accident or a diagnosis you weren't expecting. And then suddenly your family is a special needs family, a disability family. So even though we kind of think about Down syndrome coming at birth or autism coming, those diagnoses coming when they're three or five or seven, but Mm -hmm. you just never know. We have a family in our church whose son had cancer and then recently had to have both arms and both legs amputated. And so up to, you know, they were a typical family and then up to just this earlier this year, now they're a special needs family with, yeah. with a child that has to navigate life with a wheelchair and prosthetics. And, and so that certainly isn't the absence of God. In fact, it's, it's a way for him to show off and show up and, and build resilience and endurance in us. And I think, especially for our typical son, David, I I I think he's learning he's reject he won't have the same expectations as a young adult that God owes me an easy life or God owes me an easy marriage because I have followed his rules, right? Because he sees man, God doesn't meet our expectations and yet he's always faithful. And so we continue kind of that refrain. In our home, it, we we call it remember and tell. So we remember what mm-hmm. God has done, and we tell others about it. And that starts with David. And so we're building endurance in him because he has seen suffering in a way that not all teenagers have seen suffering, and mm-hmm. yet he has seen God faithful. And so we really kind of yeah build our hope on that for him.
0: Yeah, I, I really appreciate that, and I, I appreciate the way you're um, sharing. Uh, for your own family, um, the the challenge, right? It's it's hard, um, and at the same time, um, it is sanctifying, and
1: yeah.
0: um, it, it's an opportunity to disciple, um, you know, your your whole family, and for you to grow as a disciple too. And um, so, when when we as youth workers want to help. Um, and this is something that I've struggled with. Uh, my wife is, um, uh, my wife was a special ed, uh, teacher in the middle school for a number of years. Now she is a team chair for, uh, the special education department in town. And, uh, so it's been, um, it's been a, a conversation, um, and sometimes it does feel a bit like, well, my youth group is we're just a small church a small youth group i don't have staff and i don't have training days for for all this i don't have the resources that that the public schools have to be able to provide resources and assistance um so what are some practical realistic attainable things that churches and and youth ministries can do if they want to start growing in this area.
1: Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, the last census told us that one in 5 families in the US has a member with a disability. Mm-hmm. And so that's 20% of our population and like your wife works in special ed, so you know there's a significant yeah. amount of, of students in in Texas it's the average high. is like 13% but it can go as high as 18% of the students in a school district who yeah. have IEPs or 504s those, yeah. that's the language we use in special special education and learning disabilities and so when you think about that number of families not having access to church or not feeling comfortable in church that a
0: lot of people
1: that's a that's a lot of people and that should motivate us, right, to take some steps that we can take. And there are organizations across the country, like Johnny and Friends is one. It's J-O-N-I, Johnny and Friends. Mm -hmm. They have offices all across the country. They have a really helpful website. They have training videos. They have all kinds of stuff for special needs families. And so, like you said, if if you don't have an opportunity for training, you could send your volunteers a link that says, hey, watch this video. This will be really helpful just to kind of give you an overview. Like, especially if you know, hey, we have a student and he has autism. Let's watch this video on supporting students with autism. And that kind of thing is helpful. There's some things that we can do just across the board that help, even if it's ADHD or anxiety or autism. We call those invisible disabilities. You can't see them, right? Like, it's not like Down syndrome where there's physical... Characteristics. And so these students can hide those diagnoses. Their parents can hide those diagnoses because we talked about their fear of isolation. So we don't always know that, but there's things we can do in our youth ministry settings that make it easier for those kids. Part of that can be training the volunteers you do have. We talked a little bit about buddies, like it doesn't have to be one on one. We call them floater buddies. And so they're just there to kind of look out for any kid. We, especially in the youth group setting, that's an opportunity for buddies to be there, but then they fade their support. And so they, they're not hovering
0: <laughs> over yeah. these
1: teenagers. We're not trying to yeah. do anything to bring attention to them. They're just kind of there and aware. And then they may set, set the student up for success. And then they kind of blend into the background with the other adults. So we call that fading support. Um, a predictable routine is huge for students mm-hmm. with anxiety students with ADHD and that doesn't mean you can't be creative and can't have fun but at least they know when i get here this is where i'm going to go this is what everybody's going to be doing this is where my friends are going to be this is what time we're going to start all uh, uh, the more predictable we can make it the easier it is on these students yeah. who who get comfort from predictability their yes. their anxiety increases with when they're not sure what's going on, and so even if it even if the schedule changes, communicating that to say, "Hey, this is a special night because it's Thanksgiving," you know, or like Thanksgiving week, and so we're going to do things that are a little different, and we're going to eat at we're going to eat all together, whereas normally you come and get, you get your food and you go all these different places. Like any little thing that's going to be different, if you can communicate that to them ahead of time. That's super helpful. Yeah, and then the other thing I think that's big is just being aware of sensory sensitivities. And so we have sensory seekers and we have sensory avoiders. Yeah, um, yeah. and so sensory seekers they need movement. They need. Uh, they like loud music. They like flashing lights. They like all those kind of things. Our sensory avoiders try to get away from all of that. They're they're covering their ears or they're. Mm-hmm. Um, in trying to get in a dark corner or their chair feels really, inc- you know, those hard like folding metal chairs that yeah. aren't comfortable for any of us, but they're really uncomfortable if if you have kind yeah. of like hyper sensitivity in your body. Yeah. And so just being aware and kind of m- seeing an opportunity, like if there's opportunities for movement or if there's uh, times where you can say, hey, we're going to, the lights are going to be on for this part, but then we're going to turn them down for this part. and And just kind of, watching out for that seeing how the kids are reacting and if you have a kid who really can't handle it then consider making some changes that help him or her feel more comfortable
0: yeah that's really helpful so one of um the struggles right that that i've i've Sometimes in youth ministry, we can feel the need to keep everything, like, really fun and exciting, and that means, dun-dun-dun, unpredictability, right? Like, you don't want to let them know what's about to happen. Um, And I know that youth workers feel that, um, and we feel that pressure, um, but part of caring for students with disabilities is putting that aside and saying I'm going to care for these kids who are so easily overlooked and, and sometimes frankly just brushed aside. Yeah. Um, and, and I just say like, look, just, just sacrifice. Like love these kids, care for them and welcome them. Um, that's what we see in the character of Christ. When we read the gospels, um, you know, how do we think Jesus would welcome these students and their families um and so if that means that you don't play this crazy game of chaos just save it for a special game night um save it for something special for something different or provide options right provide hey we're gonna play this game here and we're gonna do this other game over there um a a few ways that i've seen people do um practice a a lot of what you're recommending Sandra. So one of my small group leaders uh, last year started bringing in coloring books and crayons and she just let her small group um, color during small group discussion because she was like, some of them like they're just so fidgety and antsy
1: yeah,
0: and like they just couldn't sit still. So I figured I'd give them something constructive to do. And sure enough, like, uh, the the entire culture of the small group changed in a very positive way and kids were able to um do something with their hands um when otherwise they were feeling restless and unengaged and getting up to go to the bathroom every 10 minutes and yeah. now that they have something right um and and I know other groups who have like a a fidget bin yeah of yeah silent <laughs> emphasis yeah. on silent and non-distracting <laughs> fidgets that kids can take and just kind of flip around in their fingers or keep in their pocket and just play with and they know to like put it back at the end of the night so that way it's there for them again next week um i, I had one girl who was constantly like up and down and up and down going to the bathroom and so eventually i talked to her i was like hey what like what is, what is happening? She's like, Mike, I just can't sit. Like, I can't, hmm. I can't sit for that long. Like I feel bad, but like my legs just get so restless. I'm like, can you just sit at the end of a row? Not in the middle, yeah. like just sit at the end of a row. And when you need to stretch your legs, just stand at the back of the room.
1: Yeah,
0: that's okay. And she was like, I can do that. like, yes, <laughs> I would rather you stand in the back of the room and just, just make sure you're seated at the end of a row, so you're not disrupting everyone in the in the row and everyone behind you. And if you need to pace back and forth, just like, don't bring your friends with you. Don't be. You don't have to be distracting. We want you here, but that means we want you in the room. Like, yeah. if you need to sit at the end of the row and stretch your legs during the message, you have my permission, and I will tell your small group leaders that you have like. So uh, sometimes it's just simple things to give kids permission and to give small group leaders permission for, for students who are otherwise restless to just, you know, care for them in very practical, simple ways that sometimes we can just overlook.
1: Yeah. And I think teenagers today are good at advocating for themselves. Like they can say, look, I, I just can't sit still. Right. And, help me like I want to sit still I want to listen I don't want to be a distraction so as the adult (laughs) help give me options that I so that I can be here um and you know teenagers today they have language for things that we didn't 20 years ago and and so it's helpful for them to say I feel overwhelmed I feel like I'm having a panic attack or you know whatever language they're giving us that, that's helpful communication and so that we can brainstorm with them solutions like fidgets or being able to pace in the back or coloring books or there's yeah. noise-reducing headphones that our mm-hmm. kids and some of our teenagers use. And when it gets too overwhelming, they put these noise-reducing headphones on and, and it's great. Nobody bats an eye at that yeah. because they're used to it. They're used to it in a school setting and it's fine to kind of carry over into church and they just are... The other kids are like, "Oh, good! I'm glad (laughs) they're able to to have something that helps them be here with us."
0: Yeah. Um, So as as we wrap up the conversation, I'm gonna um, I want I want to hear from you because this is the youth pastor theologian podcast, right? Like, ooh, very deep (laughs) and profound. Um, how do we? How does all this? conversation come together to a point of discipleship right like that I, I just want to make it very clear like we're not saying oh you like you you can't disciple these you just create a welcoming space right like that's not that's not the message here right right so like yeah. how does the, all of this come together to a point of discipleship and, and and helping these kids to not just feel welcome, which is very important in gospel culture, right, is is crucial. But what does discipleship look like um, when we're taking all these factors into consideration?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question, because one of the things that that I say when I'm helping churches is the goal is the gospel. Yeah. We're not here for babysitting. We're yeah, not here well. for and and not that that isn't helpful like on some level yep. for like for somebody who has profound disabilities for there to be a sensory room and the rest of the family is able to attend like there's value in that but we're mm-hmm. talking about the gospel like we yeah. want to communicate the gospel in a way that these kids and teens understand and we want to show them the love of Christ and we want them to take steps of sanctification and growing in godliness. And so some of that is just understanding what concrete thinkers they usually are. And so you, the Bible is stories and metaphors and it takes a little bit of imagination, right? To like accept everything that's happening. And especially our students with level one autism they're such concrete thinkers that we um, we kind of have to be careful in the the words that we use and the comparisons that we make and sarcasm
0: and they, I've learned yeah, that the oh, hard way yeah no sarcasm yeah. 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 yeah,
1: yeah, no, it's not helpful um and it it further isolates them right because yeah. there's a joke everybody else gets that they don't get, right. and so wow. you know part of the discipleship I think is going back to something like Exodus four, where you say. God made you this way on purpose, and he's going to use this in your life. And so mm-hmm. this isn't something to, um, to push down. I mean, like we want, we want less anxiety. We want better communication. We want those things. But, but there's something fundamentally different, and that difference is on purpose. God has a purpose in that. And so especially when we're, you know, one of the things that they're dealing with in these teenage years is how am I different? And do my, are my differences bad? And so yeah. we have to kind of assure them God has a plan for you in this. And that includes this. And, and there are things that you are going to be better at than I am because God designed your brain in this way. And he's going to take you places that I can't go because you have these opportunities to, to think in this different way or see the world differently. And, um, so I think that's part of it. Because all kids, all teenagers are are figuring out, am I flawed? Is there is can God use me? And so the first step of decide besides salvation and the gospel message is to just really invest in them that God has a purpose for you and God Mm -hmm. has a community for you. There are, especially in the neurodiverse community, they are welcoming. Very welcoming, but they don't have the biblical worldview that we have and so if a teenager doesn't feel welcome at church they're going to find other places where they are welcome and that that takes them off a path of discipleship and and true transformation and so you know there's really getting to know the kids, thinking about things very concretely, avoiding sarcasm, uh, focusing on how a good God designed them with a purpose yeah. um, and he's going to fulfill that purpose in them. Even siblings, right? Like even David has to say, "What, what is God's purpose for me in having a brother with disabilities? What does God right. have planned for me? How's he going to yeah. use this in my life? Um, so all of that kind of comes together to, to lead them, but um, it just starts so foundationally with how was I created and why was I created? And then how do I live out that calling that God has on me?
0: Mm -hmm. That's so good. And um, as we wrap things up, could you just uh, give us uh, just a a quick overview of of your book, Unexpected Blessings? Uh, Share a little bit about that and maybe any other books or resources or ministries that you'd recommend for youth workers to check out and to learn more.
1: Okay. My book is Unexpected Blessings. The subtitle is The Joys and Possibilities of Life in a Special Needs Family. And it really kind of takes parents through these phases of special needs parenting. So they get this plan B news, this news they weren't expecting in that diagnosis. And then it takes them through rebuilding their faith, trusting in God again, uh, creating, investing in relationships, creating community, and then living out their purpose. And so I, I say... God had a purpose for you all along, and that includes you being a special needs mom or a special needs dad, and he's gonna use you. I like to say you have this amazing mission field when you're in waiting rooms or at Special Olympics practice, you are a missionary. You speak the same language as these other parents. You do the same things. And so empowering parents to be missionaries wherever they are and living out their calling um, is kind of the purpose of the book. Um, Ministries that I could recommend Key Ministry is, uh, a min- they have a podcast. So if you're a podcast listener, you can find that on your podcast app as well. It's a weekly podcast. They kind of address different things related to disability ministry, mental health ministry.
0: And they that and- again?
1: Key Ministry, K-E-Y, Key Ministry. Um, Johnny and Friends, which I mentioned, which is J-O-N-I, Johnny and Friends. They've got offices all across the country. Um, Ability Ministry is really helpful. They do, they do quite a bit of curriculum design. And so if you are a church and you think, Hey, we need that sensory room that Sandra was talking about or that reverse inclusion class that I mentioned. Yeah. That Ability Ministry is great at producing uh, curriculum for that. They have gospel workbooks and baptism workbooks oh, okay. that are designed for people with disabilities. We use that at our church. And so. If you have a kid who's a very concrete thinker or somebody with intellectual disabilities that you think we need to just kind of slow down this explanation of the gospel, make sure they really understand it. Ability ministry has workbooks and videos that take students through that. So we use that at our church. And so there's lots of things out there. I think it's, it's part of the hard thing when you're in youth ministry. And everybody you know is in youth ministry. You don't always know that this world exists that right. helps with disability ministry. And um, there's such a kind of a silo. Everything, every ministry can get kind of siloed and you're you're just kind of in an echo chamber. But there's lots of resources out there. There's lots of help and books and podcasts and websites and videos. Yeah. And so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to feel like this is a challenge that's too hard to overcome. There's lots of great resources.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your ministry and for using your own story um, to uh, equip and empower uh, so many others to uh, pursue uh, what it looks like to be faithful shepherds to these students and their families who um, just have uh, certain needs that sometimes can be overlooked. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Youth Pastor Theologian podcast. YPT's mission is to empower youth workers to pursue theological depth because we're committed to inviting students into a faith that's big enough to grow into. You can learn more about the ministry and other resources we offer at youthpastortheologian.com, and you can find us on most social media at Youth Theologian.